0: Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey, as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self-hatred For a chance at belief? Hello again, everyone. Welcome to episode 14 of the Lovable podcast. This week, we are reading and discussing week 13 of Lovable's companion book, which is entitled Embracing Your Valuable Flaws. This week, we're going to focus on a very specific problem. Here it is. The voice of shame within us is like a bully on a middle school playground. It points out all the ways we stand out, um, our quirks, our flaws, idiosyncrasies, our wounds, And arguing with that bully never really works for very long. Uh, The argument, the back and forth, just seems to fuel that voice of shame. So this week we're going to focus on a very specific solution to this problem, and that solution is once again the voice of grace, which doesn't get caught up in arguing with our shame, but simply says, yeah, that might be true. However, this is definitively true. No matter what, you are beautiful and beloved. The next time you hear the voice of shame within you, we want you also to be able to hear the voice of grace saying simply, and you are beautiful and beloved. Before we get into this week's episode, though, remember, these podcasts are being recorded every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock Central Time, that's Chicago Time, on Facebook Live. So if you want to join us, you can go to my Facebook page at that time on Wednesday. The Facebook page is Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and, uh, and you can tune in. Now, if you want to be kept up to date about the recordings, the podcast, or my blog, or anything else, make sure you're subscribed to my weekly newsletter. It comes out every Wednesday morning, and if you haven't already subscribed to that, you can go to drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com, and sign up in the right sidebar, or scroll down about half a page, and one of those annoying pop-ups will um, ask you if you want to subscribe. You'll get uh, one weekly uh, email email every week, just one email, uh, a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto and a free sample of lovable uh, so there's lots of good stuff and we'd love to have you join us and remember this podcast focuses on the year of listening loving and living which is a book that stand, it can stand on its own but uh, it, i think it stands a little taller and a little stronger as a companion to lovable um, so if you need to pick up a copy of lovable you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's LovableTheBook.com to find out all about it. It's available in paperback, digital, audio, wherever books are sold. So you can pick up a copy from your favorite place to buy books. And as always, if you have an independent bookseller near you that you can get to, go support them and, and help them out. Now let's go listen a little more closely for that voice of grace, which is always whispering, and you are beautiful and beloved. Thanks again for joining us on this journey. Hello, Facebook Live. It's great to be here with you again, recording the 14th episode of the Lovable podcast. Today, we're going to be reading and discussing week 13 of Lovable's companion book, which is entitled Embracing Your Valuable Flaws. At the heart of this week's conversation is a question What does grace say about our mistakes and our mess and all the ways we're uniquely wounded and quirky and flawed? Before we get into this next chapter about the voice of grace, however, I want to pause and hear from you about how you're doing. For instance, what are these months of listening beginning to look like for you? And even more specifically, as we began discussing last week, what does the voice of grace sound like to you? When you get still enough to hear that voice within you, what kinds of things do you hear it saying? Last week we outlined some of the hallmarks of the voice of grace, including how it extends us tenderness and compassion, that it always whispers of our worthiness, that it is calling us lovable and beloved that it leaves us feeling hopeful and more connected to everything and everyone. So if you have any additional things you'd like to add to that description of the voice of grace, please feel free to do so. And so while you're thinking about that um, and what you want to share, I thought I'd share a bit of reading with you that I did over the holidays. Um, This bit of reading to me beautifully captures the voice of grace as I experience it. So one of my favorite um, authors um, certainly writes in that way. Uh, his name is Gregory Boyle. I've probably mentioned his book on the podcast before, back in, in 2014. His first book, Tattoos on the Heart. Um, I felt like I feel like in 2014 I was sort of standing on the edge of this cliff, and like this g- Graceland was laid out before me, and I was sort of in awe of it. And his book just pushed me all the way over into it. It was gorgeous, and. Uh, so anyways, he just released his second book. He is a Jesuit priest uh, who runs, who's, who started and runs the biggest gang rehabilitation program called Homeboy Industries, biggest gang rehabilitation program in the world and the most successful out in Los Angeles. And uh, so this is from his second book, Barking to the Choir. I'll go ahead and read it because I think it's a great example of the voice of grace while you're thinking about um, your own experiences of grace. It sometimes will occur to colleges and universities to force their students to read Tattoos on the Heart. That's his first book against their will, and then invite me to speak on campus. The entire freshman class at my alma mater, at Gonzaga University in Washington, was strong-armed into reading my book. I couldn't be more grateful. So at their invitation, I brought two homies to join me for the trip. When hosts are willing to foot the bill, I always search out homies or homegirls who have never been on a plane before to accompany me. This time, I took Bobby, an African-American gang member who worked in the bakery, and Mario, who worked in our retail store. We flew from Burbank Airport, which is a small and intimate experience. The planes are in full view from huge bay windows. There are no her- hermeneutically, her- hermetically sealed chutes you must walk through to board. Passengers walk on the tarmac and climb the stairs located at the front and back of the plane. I've probably traveled with hundreds of gang members over the years, but no one has ever been as terrified of the experience as Mario was. He was hyperventilating, gasping and flushed, and we hadn't even approached the aircraft yet. Our plane arrived, and as folks disembarked, I pointed it out to Mario, who was all but holding his head between his knees. Then I saw two female flight attendants climbing up the front stairs of the plane, each carrying two venti sized drinks from Starbucks. Mario emerged long enough from his terror tunnel to ask the panicky, ask with a panicky whine, When are we going to board the plane? I pointed to the coffee trudging flight attendants. Well, as soon as they sober up the pilots. I know, I probably shouldn't have said this. I should mention that Mario, a tall drink of water, is among the most tattooed of any of our trainees. And at Homeboy Industry, that's saying a lot. His arms are sleeved out, neck blackened with the name of his barrio, and his entire face is covered but for the immediate area around his eyes, nose, and mouth. I had never been in public with him and was surprised by people's reactions in the Burbank airport. People would widely sidestep him. Mothers would pull their kids in more tightly. The recoiling was pronounced and widespread. And yet, were you to ask anyone at Homeboy who is the kindest, gentlest person who works at Homeboy, they wouldn't say me. The answer would most certainly be Mario. He is proof that only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness has any chance of changing the world. As always, I'm usually usually invited to give some evening keynote. What they neglect to tell you is that they have lined up many side events during our stay. Multiple classes, meetings with campus groups, etc. I told Mario and Bobby that they would speak at these things while I sat in the back of the room. Even though they both were quite nervous speakers, their accounts always moved people deeply. Their stories were filled with violence, abandonment, torture, and abuse of every kind. Honest to God, if their stories had been flames, you'd have to keep your distance, otherwise you'd get scorched. So I changed things up at the evening keynote. I asked them to get up before me and each do a five-minute presentation in front of a thousand people so that I could include them in the subsequent question-and-answer session. Both were nervous, especially Mario, but they expertly delivered an edited version of the life stories they had presented earlier in different classrooms. I gave my usual speech then invited the two homies to join me at the podium. Once the room settled, I encouraged the audience to just raise their hands and belt out their questions without the aid of a microphone. The first question was from a woman near the front. She stood and said that she had a question for Mario. The spine shiver that went through his slim body was likely visible from any seat. He gingerly approached the mic. "Yes," he squeaked. You say you're a father, the woman began, and your son and daughter are starting to reach their teenage years. What wisdom do you impart to them? She recalibrates. I mean, what advice do you give them? She sat, and Mario was left alone to sift her words and find a response. He trembled some, and closed his eyes, then suddenly blurted out, I just... As soon as the two words left his mouth, he retreated again to silence. Standing next to him, I could feel, sense, and see the sentence he was putting together in his mind reducing him to a new emotional setting. His eyes were closed and he was clutching the microphone. He finally opened his eyes and stretched his arm out toward the woman as if he were pleading with her. I just... I just don't want my kids to turn out to be like me. His last words felt squeezed out, and his sobbing became more pronounced. The audience was silent, and not one of us made a move to fill it. The woman stood up again. Now it was her turn to cry as she pointed at Mario, her voice steely and certain, even through her tears, Why wouldn't you want your kids to turn out like you, she said. You are gentle. You are kind. You are loving. You are wise. She steadied herself, planted herself firmly. I hope your kids turn out to be like you. There was not much of a pause before all 1,000 attendees stood and began to clap. The ovation seemed to have no end. All Mario could do was hold his face in his hands, overwhelmed with emotion. Bobby and I each lightly placed a hand on his back as he gently sobbed, a room full of strangers returned him to himself as i looked at this crowd it was unshakably clear that they too had been returned to themselves it was all exquisitely mutual an orphan guiding us to the birth of a new inclusion a lanky tattooed gang member befriending his own wound and inoculating this room from despising the wounded everyone recognizing themselves in the brokenness all of us a cry for help judgment nowhere in sight and yes entering just right now into the fullness of kinship so uh, it's a long reading <laughs> thanks for hanging out i see that everyone mostly did <laughs> um to me this woman's standing up and, and pointing at him and saying through all of your tattoos uh all of your history all of your brokenness all of the wounding you've done and all the woundedness you've taken on i see the beauty in you to me that's what grace does um, and that there's a voice of grace within each of us that is um, doing that. So I would love to hear more from you if you have any thoughts about this voice of grace. Corey writes, when I hear that voice of grace, it often quickly turns to wonder of why I am worthy of it and goes back to the shame again with love tools to practice allowing grace to be turned on. Um, Corey, that's uh, not an uncommon experience to have. Um, and um, the 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 short answer to that question is that when we hear that voice of grace and immediately feel unworthy of it it's because we're continuing to see ourselves through our eyes rather than through the eyes of grace so um you know our our reaction is um, wow i'm receiving grace even though i'm not worthy of it and uh, the voice of grace is trying to say actually you're receiving grace specifically because you're worthy of it Um, you see the tattoos you see the mess you see the brokenness you see the wounds. And I see who you are through all of that. I see your true self. Um, and, uh, and that that's the part of you that is absolutely worthy. Um, and it's the part of you in which I rejoice. Um, and so our task is to listen for that voice consistently and regularly until we begin to, to see ourselves through its eyes. Um, it's, the, it's the core task of our lives. Heather writes, Tattoos on the Heart, great book. Haven't read the other one yet. Yeah, Barking to the Choir just came out, and it's beautiful, too, Heather. Heather writes, Grace, such a fleeting thing. It is so hard to catch, but when it begins to happen on the regular, it's remarkable. Yeah, and I think that's the—it's one of the ideas that we want to sort of cultivate here and, and connect with is that grace isn't fleeting. It's, um, it's all around us and it's within us, um, but our ability to tune into it is fleeting. And what we're doing is we're cultivating an ability to stay tuned into it more frequently, more consistently, and more regularly. Um, and that's, that's our task. Um, our task isn't to create the voice or uh, to, to, to make it say anything. It's just simply to be present to it so that we can catch it when it's happening. Deb W. writes, I love that idea. They returned him to himself. Such a powerful way to articulate grace. Um, and this gets back to Corey's comment, Right. Um, that grace, by seeing who we actually are, underneath all the stuff we tend to pay attention to, um, is in that seeing returning us to who we actually are. Um, and, uh, and our task is to allow us to be returned, um, in that seeing. Sonali writes, I've started hearing the voice of grace. I didn't understand what it meant when I first heard the term from you, but now I do. Oh my goodness. Sonali, that is beautiful. This is what it's been for me. I am less critical of what I do Sonali writes, what helped me get here, therapy helped, your writing, video helps, improv theater classes, Buddhism classes, looking around and realizing there is no perfection. Oh man, I love all of that, Sonali. Um, And Sonali, that comment um, might not be a bad segue into today's content because what we're going to be talking about this week in the year of listening loving and living is that there is no, there is no perfection. And we spend so many time, so much time, sort of hiding our imperfections and our flaws and our quirks and our wounds, because uh, we think to fit in. We have to look mostly perfect. And uh, the voice of grace is not. And this goes back to Corey's comment as well. The voice of grace is not, not valuing us and seeing us worthy in spite of all of that, our quirks, flaws, brokenness, wounds, um, but maybe even because of all that. Uh, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that idea today. Uh, so not only do we not need to hide it, um, but maybe we can actually embrace all of that stuff that we tend to try to hide that makes us very unique. Well, Sonali's comment is such a good segue. Why don't we actually use it as that? And then if there are additional thoughts about this idea of, of grace, we can, we can certainly come back to it. But um, it is a great segue. So let's, let's use that as a, a transition into this week's reading. Um, now, we're gonna, we are going to transition directly into the, the content from the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, but um, I'm going to, uh, again, do what we've been doing, which is um, connecting this back to some of the parallels in Lovable. Um, I think today's reading would stand on its own, but again, I think within the context of Lovable, um, it's a little bit richer reading. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that, and then we'll continue. So this is from Chapter 11 of Lovable. Um, I think I'll just read the beginning of the chapter, and then we'll go from there. Chapter 11, What Grace Sees Underneath Your Mess. And this is a quote from Brennan Manning. And Grace calls out, you are not just a disillusioned old man who may die soon, a middle-aged woman stuck in a job and desperately wanting to get out, a young person feeling the fire in the belly begin to grow cold. You may be insecure, inadequate, mistaken, or pot-bellied. Death, panic, depression, and disillusionment may be near you, but you are not just that. You are accepted. Never confuse your perception of yourself with the mystery that you really are accepted. Brennan Manning I'm wearing a cheap long-haired wig, leather pants, and women's boots with stiletto heels, and I'm walking into my son's elementary school fundraiser, which is being hosted at a posh local country club. A costume contest for parents had been advertised, so earlier in the day, I had walked into a Goodwill store as a suburban dad and walked out as a rock star circa 1985. Now it's 6 p.m., and I'm skittering across the icy parking lot toward the ballroom entrance in four-inch heels, with my chest hair showing. (laughs) As I work to stay upright, I glance around at the rest of the crowd slip-sliding from the parking lot to the entrance. I see lots of ball gowns and lots of sport coats. I'm trying not to hit the pavement when the realization hits me. No one else has chosen to compete. With the exception of the few friends who came with me, everyone else is dressed normally, classy, mature. Somewhere inside of me, the shame of a kid who changed schools three times by fourth grade and always felt a little bit on the outside begins to speak up. The voice of shame in me says, everyone else knows what they're doing and you don't. You look silly, ridiculous, you're a joke. It evokes memories of loneliness and inadequacy, and it makes proclamations about my unworthiness. You're not cool enough, you're not popular enough, you're quite simply not good enough. The voice of shame within us is crafty. Not necessarily because it is saying bad things about us, but because it is saying partial things about us. Sometimes it uses half-truths that are hard to argue with and dresses them up as the whole truth. It speaks of the very real, very unpleasant stuff inside of us as if it's the only stuff inside of us. Of course we've made mistakes. This is being human. Sometimes we do the best we can and life still ends up a wreck. This is having some skin in the game. Sometimes we'll do almost anything to survive. This is being part of the big circle of life. Sometimes we know exactly how to do the most loving thing, and we choose to do far less. This is having freedom and fallibility. We're a mess, of course we are. We have a layer of darkness, of course we do. The problem is, when we hear the voice of shame within us telling us this part truth about the darkness within us, we try to talk it out of its conclusion. We try to convince ourselves it's wrong and we're not so full of darkness, not such a mess. Sometimes this tactic might even work. We might silence the voice of shame long enough to get a decent night's sleep but by morning, the voice of shame is back, reminding us of our brokenness once again. In the end, it does us no good to argue with our shame because it's not an argument we can win. As the cold wind bites through my rock star costume, the voice of shame reminds me of unfamiliar grade school playgrounds and my all too familiar loneliness. And I'm tempted to argue back, to get lost in the same old never-ending cycle of debate with my shame. But instead, on this night, I close my inner mouth and open my inner ear. Instead of talking back to my shame, I listen for another voice, the voice of the spark, the voice I call grace. And on this night, I hear it whispering at the center of me. Grace doesn't try to challenge the half-truth claims of my shame. Instead, the voice of grace reminds me of the whole truth. You do look ridiculous, Kelly, and you are beautiful and beloved. You aren't the cool kid, Kelly. You never were, and you are beautiful and beloved. You aren't the most popular guy here tonight, Kelly, and you are beautiful and beloved. The voice of grace doesn't challenge the story I've been told by my shame. It totally subverts it by reminding me of the rest of the story. The voice of grace doesn't try to disprove the voice of shame. It doesn't do a yeah but, it does a yes and. It disrupts all the internal debates, undermines all the second guessing, and avoids all the inner conflict. It says yes, that may be true, and this is definitively true. Grace tells you you're a mess, and also lovely, broken and also beautiful, full of darkness, and also light grace is the love that sees the ugly along with the beautiful and joyfully holds both together in a tender embrace this is the voice of grace it says the kids on the playground think you're a nerd and no one wants to hang out with you and you are beautiful and beloved the girls at school are calling you chubby and you are beautiful and beloved the cuts on your arm advertise the torment you carry within and you are beautiful and beloved You keep losing weight, but you still can't stand the sight of yourself in the mirror, and you're scared of where this might end. And you are beautiful and beloved. You give yourself away to men, and you can no longer look at your reflection in the mirror. And you are beautiful and beloved. You burn the dinner, and the house is a mess, and everyone is disappointed in you. And you are beautiful and beloved. You lost your job, and you're struggling to provide for your family. And you are beautiful and beloved. No matter what, you are beautiful and beloved. So that's an excerpt from Lovable that sort of situates what we're trying to do today. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read this week's reading, and then I will scroll back and pick up some comments and and we'll discuss what's going on here. Week 13, Embracing Your Valuable Flaws. Recently my son Quinn told me about the game of dodgeball they play in gym class. He said that when someone gets hit by a ball, they must go to the sideline and do 20 jumping jacks before they can get back into the game. He said that rule annoyed him. He said the losers should have to sit and watch for the remainder of the game. I asked why he felt that way. He looked at me incredulously and said, because I'm competitive. Have you noticed us human beings have a bit of a competition problem? This is in part because most of us have been conditioned to believe our value, our worthiness as a human being, is relative to everyone else's. That our value is achieved by comparison, by competition, and ultimately by victory over the rest of humanity. The voice of shame, lurking in the dark recesses of our mind, assures us this lie is true. So we engage in deeply wounding games in which the grand prize is personal worth. The games we play vary dramatically. The type of game, the ongoing competition for value we choose to play, seems to be dependent upon the particular type of wounds we incurred. For instance, many of the messages we swallowed about our value were delivered to us unwittingly, by people who genuinely cared about us and intended us no harm. A glass of milk was spilled at the table and a parent huffed and griped or scolded and reprimanded and a lesson was learned. My value is diminished when I make more mistakes than other people. Or we brought home our first set of A's in the fourth grade and our parents glowed with pride and we got a little more ice cream than usual after dinner. My value is increased when I perform well and it seems assured when I perform better than everyone else. Or we gained our adolescent weight before we gained our adolescent height and the kids giggled as we jiggled, and our value got confused with the numbers on the scale. My value is dependent upon looking as thin as everyone else. Or we got our first car, with wheels shinier than anyone else's, and a speaker system with the deepest bass sounds around, and the Facebook friend requests surged. My value is dependent upon owning things that are more impressive than the things other people own. Or we landed the right job, or the right wife, or the right house in the right neighborhood, and people started admiring what we'd accomplished. My value is dependent upon what I achieve and the number of people who admire it. From the moment our minds can comprehend that there is me, and there is you, we begin to crave and seek out an assurance of worth. We're like starved creatures, and we will feed on anything. And so the lies come, and we eat them. But we must fight to remind ourselves that we have eaten crummy food and swallowed crummy messages. I think most of us do want to fight that fight, but the reality is, if we quit swallowing the messages we've been fed, we're still hungry. So where do we begin to find some semblance of assurance about our value as a human being, our worth as a creature? Maybe we can begin to find it in the truth of baseball cards. When I was Quinn's age, I would wait for my allowance every week, then hop on my bike and head to the local department store. In those days, baseball cards were a big deal for young boys. I would go and I would buy as many packs as I could afford that day. I would open them quickly, thumbing through the stack for a card of value. But what gave a particular card value? A baseball card's value was only minimally determined by the popularity or batting average of the particular player it depicted. The value of the card was almost completely determined by its rarity. In other words, if a particular player card was mass-produced, that card was referred to as a common, and it had the same minimal value as any other common. But if only a small number of a particular card was produced, the value of that card soared. Furthermore, some of the most sought-after, most valuable cards were error cards. These were cards that contained some rare error, a misspelled name for example, that was not detected in the earliest printings but was later corrected. The flaw gave the card a particular uniqueness and a rarity that elevated its value dramatically. This is the truth we need to consume. The games we play in our competition for value, our attempts to do what everyone else is doing but just slightly better, actually have the opposite effect. They make us common and decrease our value as human beings. We need to know our value comes not from what we do or achieve, or how far ahead we are in the pennant race of life, but our real value is due, at least in part, to the fact that there is only one of us. Only one person with our particular set of thoughts, feelings, beliefs, passions, gifts, callings, and experiences. There is no other story like yours. Only one of you has been produced, and because of that you have infinite, infinite value. All right, so that is the reading for this week. Uh, I would love to hear your reactions to it um, and to continue this uh, discussion about grace. Kathy writes, I'm pretty comfortable with imperfection, but my husband is not, and his anxiety towards me, toward my actions, makes it difficult. Yeah, so Kathy, that's a, wow. Um, The sense that the person you want to belong to the most Um, isn't comfortable with all of your, your quirkiness in in ways that you are. Um, you know, it's fun. I, I spent much of my early adulthood thinking that I, I would make myself acceptable by being sort of quiet, staying under the radar, saying all the right things. Um, and then I married this, I call her my spark plug, uh, my wife, um, this, this Portuguese, um, fiery, uh, just energetic, engaging person. And I remember I would spend a lot of time in public sort of going, oh my gosh, how are people reacting to her? Um, oh, this is this feels uncomfortable. I normally try to stay under the radar. And I even spent some try- time trying to kind of like uh, manage her behavior. Um, it wasn't until later that I realized it was all my insecurity um, coming out. That um, this was an expression of my sense that I needed to um, be quiet and unheard in order to, to to not get hurt or shamed. Um and so I you know, Kathy, um I can't I can't reach into your relationship, but um it's important to try to hold on to that truth. Um that if you trust you're worthy, that if there's a if there's an effort to to sort of um prevent you from being you, it's not it really isn't about you. It's always about everybody else's insecurity. Um and we have to trust, um, as my wife did, that <laughs> um, that those people that we belong to will work on their insecurity so that they can let us be who we are, basically. Um, I appreciate you sharing that vulnerability, though. Sonali writes, wow, never confuse your perception of yourself with the mystery that you are accepted. Isn't that a great quote from Brendan Manning, Sonali? I love it. Um, it's one of my favorites julie quotes the 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 reading from lovable and you are beautiful and beloved um that's the that's the game changer Uh, we don't have to argue with the uh we don't have to spend time trying to convince shame that what it's saying isn't true we just have to remember the rest of the truth that in spite of all that we are beautiful and beloved heather writes now that is hard to remember on the regular isn't it um but, you know, we've talked about in these, in these weeks so far of the, the value of developing mantras. Um, and, uh, wouldn't, w- wouldn't that be a great mantra to begin to, to incorporate into our daily life and you are beautiful and beloved. I could picture it even, you know, you're at the supermarket and you get, you know, butterfingers and you drop the eggs and there's eggs everywhere. just to look at them as people sort of look at you and the, you know, the, someone's running to grab a mop and just to look at those and go and you are beautiful and beloved yeah uh, you didn't stand to the radar <laughs> this time but you're beautiful and beloved so now i write so true voice of grace does remind me of the beautiful parts um that's the that's one of the key um ambitions i think of the voice of grace is to remind us of the beautiful parts that exist right there next to all the messy parts Um, until until we can even experience some of the messy parts as beautiful deb f writes an insurance and reassurance of worth something i sought my whole life until something switched for me last summer and i stumbled upon your book yeah gosh that's i mean uh deb uh i am so thrilled to hear that that has switched for you um because that's you know in love we talk about that's the search is to go out and find a reassurance of my worth from other people um but it's never enough <laughs> um even this even this homie standing up there on the stage um and receiving that grace from others um it it can't be received unless he is able and unless what is said somehow jives with the voice of grace he's already hearing within himself um And I know that's a big part of what they do at Homeboy Industries is cultivating the space to be able to hear that voice of grace within for the homies. So, so that when someone stands out in the audience and points at him and says, you are beautiful, he can go, okay, I think that might actually be true. Uh, It's something that we have to uh, begin to take in over time. Deb, I'm so thrilled that's happened for you. Deb W. writes, love that you dressed up. I bet the lessons your son learned from you being brave and not taking yourself too seriously was priceless. (laughs) Um... Yeah, boy you know I, I think uh, um, I think that's what like that's one of the things that happens as you become an adult right as you sort of bury your little the little one inside of you away is that you you tend to become more serious take yourself so seriously and uh, um, when you when you talk to people who have this um, regular awareness of an experience of the voice of grace they quit taking themselves quite so seriously um, and the truth is I don't tell the rest of the story in that chapter. We had an absolute blast that night. The group of us that arrived dressed up, an absolute blast. One of my favorite memories of my life. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, let's not take ourselves too seriously. And as our kids are growing up and starting to kind of shift into that adult mode, how can we help them to maintain a sense of playfulness too um, and a sense of grace for themselves? Heather writes, in my younger years, I found my worth in the men I dated. It took a long time to figure out I didn't need them to be worthy. Uh, Yeah, I think that that, Heather, that is the, I think you are, not not only are you not alone, (laughs) um, I would say it's more rare for for the, the opposite to be true, for us not to have this impulse to seek out our worth in other people. Um, and that's why we've ordered, you know, for those, for those of you who haven't read lovable, that's why we've ordered these months of listening, loving and living in the way that we have the listening for the voice of grace and the growing embrace of our true self and of our worthiness allows us to go out into our relationships and cultivate true belonging. And true belonging is not, I need you so that I can feel worthy, but true belonging is I feel worthy and now I can live that out in relationship to you. Um, and when, when relationships are freed up um, and lived out in the context of a mutual sense of worthiness, um, they become very beautiful things indeed, um, because two people who know they're beautiful are showing up. Um, and so that's, that's the reason for the order. Um, so Heather, you're not alone in that, not, not even close. Julia writes, your comment about being one of a kind and very special is a reminder of what my mother told all four of us almost daily. So grateful for that voice when I feel discouraged by others. Um, you know, I I'm sure at some level your your mother was um, was sharing the voice of grace that she had heard within about the beauty of um, of being one of a kind and special. And uh, this is I just I uh, was just emailing with a friend who has a podcast of his own. By the way, the Good, True, and Beautiful podcast um, by Ashton Gustafson is is so good and uh we were just talking about how he and i have been sort of uh orbiting around the same ideas about beauty having not discussed it at all and sure enough what you discover is that when you when you have multiple people listening for the voice of grace they begin to hear the same things and it's a pretty beautiful thing and suddenly there's this community right um a sense of belonging with people who are also listening for the voice of grace so that's another good reason to do these months of listening before the months of loving all of a sudden you have a lot more in common without even having known each other sonali writes ooh experience the messy parts is beautiful i hadn't thought of that thanks you bet sonali um we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in the practice today and, and again maybe you've given us our segue into that um but I'm I'm really cautious of um, of minimizing the pain that people have experienced. Um, as a therapist, I, I I don't want to to describe this in in this sort of minimizing, invalidating way of oh you have all this pain and all this mess. It's beautiful. Just embrace that. Um, that's that's not what I want. That's not what I'm aiming for here. It's more um, your your story. Your story is unique because of what you've been through, what you're going through, your resilience in terms of responding to it, and and your story is is absolutely unique, um, and so there's a beauty to that, the uniqueness of your story, um, and you're loved um, not because your story is sort of blends in sort of commonly to everybody else's story, but because your story is particularly unique and your soul is particularly unique. So... Um yeah I want to emphasize that piece of it I certainly don't want people to feel like their their wounds and pain and mess are being minimized. Brenda writes, I'm learning grace because I'm literally failing the practice miserably the week before you read it. <laughs> I tried reading ahead on this one to prep to avoid that and it's still and it still happened um, and we've touched on this a little bit how uh, we don't want to we don't want to slip into a legalism about this year. Um, a rigidity about it that well you've got it you've got to be doing it or you're failing. The irony being that if you intend to practice one of these practices, for instance, and you don't do it, and in that moment you hear the voice of grace saying you're worthy anyways, well somehow you've gotten to to the conclusion the practices were meant to bring you to by not doing them, um, <laughs> and so that's a beautiful thing in and of itself. So Brenda um, grace to you. Um, I'm glad that you're learning it within the context of failing miserably that that's pretty cool. Brenda writes, complete listening is required before embracing. Thank you. Um, yeah. And we, you know, um, we, uh, the, the, the emphasis that I place on that and why we're spending really a third of a year on it is because of how difficult it is to listen in today's world. Um, increasingly so. And and yet it's the most important thing we can do. So um, we want to we want to cultivate listening to whatever extent that we can, and trust that the voice that we hear on the other end of that um, is going to call us beautiful and beloved. So another great discussion, and I just want I think this practice is uh, uh, more flowing from the discussion. So let's just let's get into the week thirteen practice, and then we can uh, we can discuss a little bit more. Week thirteen practice. As soon as you begin hearing the voice of grace, the voice of shame gets louder, like a child denied candy in the checkout line at the supermarket, throwing a temper tantrum. And one of its most common revolts against the voice of grace goes like this. Yeah, but. Yeah, but what about your flabby love handles and your crooked teeth? What about the way people look at you when you talk passionately about the things that matter to you? What about your religious doubts and quirky worldview? But what about your anger and your fear and the way you tear up at Super Bowl halftime commercials? But what about all those things you've done that you regret? But what about your obsession with armadillos? Your shame will try to convince you to hide everything that makes you unique. It will tell you to blend in, to be embarrassed of that which makes you most distinctly you, especially the armadillos. When I'm confronting this shame within a therapy client, I often ask them to go to my office window and to watch the cars that pass by on the busy street running by the building. I ask them to count how many of the first 10 cars that pass are some shade of gray or black. The number is almost always 7 or 8 out of 10. In our effort to compete, to keep up with the Joneses, we wind up indistinguishable, homogenous, and uninteresting. This week we are going to confront the shameful lies we've swallowed about the ways we are different, indeed unique, and we are going to start embracing our differences instead of hiding them. Begin by making a list of your personal characteristics that you minimize or hide for fear of standing out. Sit for 15 minutes on the first day making your list. Then, continue to attend to this throughout the week as you go through your normal routine. Each time you notice yourself minimizing or hiding something about yourself, write it down. As the end of the week approaches, set aside an hour or two to be still with your list and to listen for the voice of grace. Wait until within you, you hear a voice whispering, This is what makes you uncommon. This is what makes you rare. This is what makes you unique. This is what makes you worthy. This is what makes you you. Later, you will have time to act on this new acceptance of yourself. But first, just spend this week listening to the truth of baseball cards, whispered on the tongue of grace. Perfection is overrated. Competition makes us common. The game is over. You are here to be unique. You are here to be you. Enjoy the freedom of that. So that's the that's the encouragement and that's the task for this week uh, more specific than we've had in recent weeks. Um, so I'm curious to hear how it, how it turns out for some people. Sonali writes, "I just noticed the voice in my head is wondering whether I am con- commenting too much." Sonali, that is a that's thank you so much for the vulnerability of that. Thank you for it's a beautiful contribution. And so right now, everybody who's listening can so you you can, you can immediately start to engage that voice of shame. Oh, you're commenting too much. You're saying too much. You're putting too much out there. And you can say, oh, no, I'm not. You know, uh, I don't know. Heather said this many things. Brenda said this many things. Deb said this many things. You can fight with that voice. Or you could say, yeah, maybe you're commenting too much, whatever that means. Maybe some, someone thinks you are. And you're beautiful and beloved. And then a community of people um, who know that about you, um, they don't they don't really care how much you're commenting (laughs) because the 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 primary truth that we are tuned into about you is that you are beautiful and beloved um for what it's worth i don't think you're commenting too much but i would prefer rather than getting into that debate that that you listen for that voice saying you're beautiful and and beloved no matter what heather writes i love this week's practice i also love making lists so it's a total win (laughs) there you go (laughs) we probably have some anti-list people out there who are like oh i don't want to do this one Um, but again, um, doesn't need to be rigid. Do this. You can do this practice in whatever way you want. It's, it's, you're trying to cultivate an awareness of the things, um, on a daily basis that you're, um, sort of hiding from view. Um, you know, what's the, what's the red sports car you're leaving in the garage so you can drive the, uh, the gray Honda out on the streets where everybody sees it, you know, we're just trying to increase awareness of that. So I'm glad Heather, that lists are, are good. And for those who lists aren't good, um, Find a way to become aware in, in your own way. Deb W. writes, Speaking of grace for myself, I recently started this practice. It's simple, but does the trick for me. While I'm writing my to-do list for the next day, I add a loving funny thing just to me. Last night I wrote, You are quirky and weird and I love you, Deb. It made me laugh and feel loved this morning. Deb, that's awesome. and What a dovetail with this week's practice to begin with. The quirky and weird, right? Like we're all quirky and weird, like, and that's okay. And, and in that, uh, I was I was uh, doing a, an interview for an online summit last week, and it's one thing we talked about a lot is that you can't find belong, true belonging, until your quirkiness and weirdness is allowed to ro- roam and be seen. Um, because unless you allow that to happen, you don't know. You can't trust that you're being accepted for who you are. your your facade is being accepted. Your um, most Um, common version of you that you present to the world is being accepted. But then you go about embracing that you're quirky and weird and and you start to show those things. And this person goes, wow, I really get a kick out of you. Let's hang out more. That's true belonging. Um, So Deb, I I love that that that's what you wrote to yourself. Um, And in a way, it is allowing the voice of grace to to speak to yourself. So beautiful. Thank you for that suggestion for all of us. Um, Reminds me of like lunchbox notes for our kids, right? We want them to we're thinking of them during the day let's write lunchbox notes notes for ourselves deb f writes embrace the weirdness has been my new mantra (laughs) i think you're all ahead of me on this and i love it uh that this is this concept is uh is what you're coming to naturally it's beautiful embrace the weirdness ann writes i love lists and look forward to this practice i so appreciate this year you are leading us to oh you bet ann um and i'm glad you're another list lover um I, uh, I'm going to practice this this week. I haven't done this sort of thing in a long time. Um, and I will, you, you know, you can practice it a bunch of times and come to new insights. Um, so based upon recent experiences, I'm going to practice it. And um, we can come back next week and share sort of what we learned about the things that we tend to want to hide away um, that make us most most unique and most worthy. Shelley writes, I kept thinking as I listened, I didn't have anything to contribute I do carry a quietness and vulnerability, still trying to find my way. Thank you for sharing. I'm excited about this week's practice. And shall I? I'll, I'll, I'll sort of suggest that there could be a whole flip side to this, right? That uh, I don't talk enough. That um, I need to contribute more to conversations. That people will think I'm boring if I'm just quiet little me. <laughs> um, and uh, and so part of. Im- you know, embracing who you are and your uniqueness might be that I'm a quiet person, and the people who I will truly belong to will um, will appreciate that about me, will value that about me. So, um, I, I certainly don't want to imply to anyone that this is about getting becoming um, more talkative, if 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 being talkative is not who you are, for instance, um, or being more out there. It's about truly embracing that who we are is, is, is good enough. And then we begin to get to, to settle into who we are and experience that and practice that without having to worry so much about everybody's reacting to it. Snally writes, thanks for all your responses. Quite helpful. Settling into who you are. That sounds so comforting. Yeah, settling into who you are. Not having to go out and create a different self, but just to get to be able to settle in and enjoy the self you, you were given from the beginning. That's, that's what we're aiming for here. I don't know about your, your experience of it, but I'm realizing as we do this, that talking about the voice of grace in community may actually be sensitizing us to it. And that's an interesting idea. Um, that having had a discussion like this, we might be more likely, number one, to want to create silence and stillness and space to listen. Um, number two, have a greater faith that if we do that, And we listen closely, we'll begin to hear the voice, and then we might be better able to recognize it when we hear it. Um, And so uh, I'm walking away from this conversation more sensitized to it, uh, more faithful, um, and more excited. So thank you all for the gift that you keep giving me every week. Appreciate it so much. Uh, We'll wrap up the conversation here this week. Uh, Next time, it'll be week 14 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, and uh, that chapter is entitled The Life-Changing Difference Between Shame and Guilt. And until then, remember, you are lovable, flaws and quirks and all. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.